Good morning. Uh, my name is Ken Jenkins, and I'm one of the uh, elders here at uh, Covenant. And we've been doing a series uh, where we're exploring life and culture and some of the uh, challenges to a faith-centric worldview. So the topic that I was given was the problem of science. Um, would you join me in prayer? Father Creator, you've placed us in a universe that is full of wonder and mystery and put in our hearts a great curiosity to understand that creation and our place in it. We pray that you would grant us wisdom and understanding as we humbly seek you and the truth. Encourage us in the faith today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have about 25 minutes this morning to address uh, a pretty far-reaching topic, and uh, one that's been debated, in some cases very heatedly, over many years by uh, many people who are much smarter than me. Uh, Usually discussions about science and faith uh, will take the form of someone uh, presenting a lot of factual evidence, a list of evidence to support one view or another. I don't really have time to do that. It's not my intent. But what I want to do is outline uh, kind of the the large framework uh, around the discussion and some guidelines about how to think about it. I would encourage you to do some additional study and thinking and praying on your own. And I'm going to provide some links uh, for in case you want to do that. So whether we're believers or unbelievers or undecided, we're all on a journey. We're trying to understand the world we live in and our place in it. And uh, each one of us is in a different place in that journey. The first point I want to make in considering the problem of science is that there is no problem with science. The problem is with our understanding of what science is and just as importantly, what it isn't. So I think some Christians are, are a little wary of science, a little maybe even fearful of science. Um, the, dif- the dictionary definition of science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. So science is concerned with the physical world, the natural world. Uh, Science is not concerned with the spiritual world and the supernatural world. And it's not just pondering or conjecturing science. It's a systematic study conducted according to a certain method. And kind of going back to high school science, a little refresher. Uh, the scientific method is to make an observation about the world, about the physical world. Uh, you form a question. Then you form a hypothesis, which is really just like an informed guess about what you think the answer might be. Then you conduct an experiment. 
and the experiment will help you prove your guess about the answer, right or wrong. Uh, then you record the results of the experiment, and it's that's useful to you. It's also useful to other people who may want to uh, know about that particular area. Then you analyze what happened, and you draw a conclusion. So can we trust the results of science? In general, yes, uh, because of a thing they call peer review. And uh, that is, scientists publish the results of their experiments and their conclusions, and then all the other scientists in, the, in their field either try to confirm those conclusions or replicate them um, or tear them apart. And either activity is considered to be um, legitimate. Uh, it's the same reason that uh, when I was a boy growing up in Florida, we used to go crabbing, and we'd take our crabs and we'd put them in a pail and you never had to put the lid on the pail because if the other crabs tried to crawl out, uh, if a crab tried to crawl out, the other crabs would pull him back in. So that's kind of how science works a little bit. So the other scientists keep each other in check. So science, you might say, is curiosity with structure and discipline. If you can't conduct an experiment, and measure some kind of quantifiable results, it's not science. So what does science have to say about God? The short answer is really uh, nothing. A true scientist, speaking as a scientist, would say, I have no way of constructing an experiment that would prove or disprove the existence of God. It is a matter of faith. So, That's pretty much all they would have to say about it. Uh, I would say that science and faith are two different ways of discovering truth about the universe, about who we are. Science is, by definition, seeking truth from analysis of sensory feedback uh, or evidence acquired from the physical universe. Faith proposes that there may be Truths that cannot be understood strictly from sense knowledge alone, and that reality may in fact include a spiritual dimension. So faith can and certainly should be informed by reason, but reason is different than physical evidence. For example, many of the fundamental constants of the universe are very precisely tuned. That if they were even just a tiny bit off, even the most minute amount, life could not exist. So of all the ways that the universe could be, the way it actually is allows life to exist. I think that reasonably suggests that there was intelligence at work in its design, and that intelligence intended to create a universe that could support life. So when we consider this universe we live in, biological life, and why things are as they are, one of the main questions that arises is, is there evidence of a higher intelligence involved? Is there evidence of design 
And as people of faith, we believe in a God who created all things, gave order to all things, and sustains all things. If you're an agnostic or atheistic evolutionist, why things are the way they are can only be a result of time and chance. There can't be any design involved. There's no intelligence involved. So genetic mutations over time randomly um, occur, and the beneficial ones give an organism the ability to survive and pass on those genetic traits to its offspring. This is called natural selection, or sometimes uh, more popularly, survival of the fittest. But there's no plan that you can refer to if you don't believe that there's intelligence involved. It's all random. It's chance. It's a roll of the dice. But an evolutionist would say, enough time and enough dice rolls, and you'll progress all the way from non-living matter to human beings. Here's a very imperfect metaphor. A 747-400 has 6 million parts. 3 million are fasteners, you know, nuts and bolts. And it has 171 miles of wiring, 5 miles of tubing, connecting all the various hydraulic, pneumatic, and electrical systems together. So get a big box. Put all the parts, 6 million parts, in there. And then... Put a lid on it and give it a good shake. Now take the lid off and see if we're ready to take off. If we're not, then put the lid back on and shake it one more time. And then take the lid off and keep doing that. You can, you can do that for 3.8 billion years. Do you believe that you will ever open the lid and find a fully functional 747 sitting there? No, and it's even worse, really, because the parts themselves must have, must have all undergone the same process to come into being, starting with base elements like aluminum and steel and copper and rubber. How many times do you have to shake a box full of rubber before you get a tire? Okay. So that's an imperfect metaphor, but naturalistic evolution is sort of like that. It depends on time, and it depends on chance, and having enough of those at work for things to be the way they are. I personally think it takes a lot more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a creator God. So the next slide uh, is going to have some references. And uh, if you want to jot those down and do some further reading or study, um, the first one is a website that deals with a lot of these issues. Um, I haven't read all the everything on their website in detail, so I just want to add a disclaimer. I'm not totally uh, endorsing everything on the site. I'm providing it so that you can do some further reading yourself. The tiny URL reference is a six-and-a-half-minute video that is really excellent in that it goes through all of these fine-tuned constants in the physical universe that make it possible for life to exist. Um, the last couple are a, couple, a book, 
a couple books that are on the same topic. So I provide those in case you want to do some additional study. So as people of faith who believe in a creator, what are the ways that we can know God? In my understanding and experience, there are basically three. The first is observation of the creation. In other words, we can know God by looking at the universe that he created. The second is scripture. God used the the record of inspired writers to create an enduring communication, informing us of his nature and intent. And contained in those writings are the greatest revelation of God ever, the account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John, who was an eyewitness to the life of Christ, writes in John 1, 14, that God in the person of his Son became flesh and dwelt with us. And the writer to, to the Hebrews describes Jesus as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Third, we can know God through experiences in our own life. As we encounter God's grace and his power and his spirit confirms who he is to our hearts. Now this may be maybe the most important point I make today. That these different means by which we can know God will never and can never contradict each other. Because they're all revelations of the same creator. So God who gave us the scripture and God who gave us the universe is saying the same thing in those revelations. They can't contradict each other. So there is nothing that science will ever find out about the physical universe, will ever discover, that will contradict the revelation of God that we have in scripture. There's nothing that you will have in your own experience of God that will contradict the Scripture. Uh, So all three of these work together. They all, if there appears to be conflict, it's because we have only finite and limited understanding of the universe, the Scripture, and even of our own experiences. So I think it's important to, to see that, that science is looking at the world, at the universe that God created. And they're never going to find something in that universe that will deny the existence of God. I don't know that they will ever find anything that confirms the existence of God either. It's a matter of faith. I mean, think about it. God could have... On every grain of sand, in every language in the earth, he could have written on every grain of sand, I made this, I'm God, worship me, right? He could have. And then when people got to the point where they invented microscopes finally, in a lab somewhere, a guy would have put a grain of sand under a microscope and focused in on it and went, oh my God. And, you know, 
that would, then, then there'd be something physical. You know, you couldn't deny that. On every grain of sand is written this. But God doesn't do that. He wants us to believe in him, to put faith in him, and then know him. He wants us to know, he wants us to believe without seeing. And science does not believe without seeing. It's, it's exactly the reverse. So, of these three different ways that we can know God, the observation of the creation, I, I, there's a verse in Romans, and I believe this statement by Paul to be true, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from his workmanship, so that men are without excuse. And my added comment to that is, that's true no matter how closely you look or how far away you look. The creation itself is a testimony of God's invisible qualities, his power, and his nature. So, we have come a long way in our looking at that creation. I mean, think about it. We have uh, sonograms. We can see the beating heart of an unborn child. We have electron microscopes. We can examine the most minute structures in organisms down at the cellular and subcellular levels. We have instruments like the Large Hadron Collider, which gives us the ability to examine the components of the physical universe down at the subatomic particle level. We have instruments that allow us to move individual atoms around. We have astronomical instruments that allow us to look deeply into the universe beyond our solar system and galaxy. So if Paul was speaking to those in Rome and said they were without excuse, we certainly are without excuse because we have the ability to examine the universe that God has made and that testifies of his greatness in even more detail, even more closely. So if the revelation of the creation itself and the revelation of Scripture can't contradict each other, then what about issues like the age of the universe? Doesn't the Bible teach the universe is only about 6,000 years old and was created in six literal 24-hour days? Or the universal flood? Doesn't the Bible teach the entire planet was one time submerged under thousands of feet of water? Or human evolution, doesn't the Bible teach that human beings are not the product of evolution, as science would maintain, but unique creations of God in his image? How about aliens and life on other planets? And what about those pesky dinosaurs? So now I'm going to answer all your questions about those topics. What, I got about 15 minutes left? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I might comment on a couple. So the, the, the creation, though, is testifying of God. The second means by which we can know God is the Scripture. And 
Is there any conflict between Scripture and science? Well, I said at the beginning, one of the problems we have with science is we don't often understand what science is and what it isn't. The same goes for Scripture. We need to understand what the Scripture is and what it isn't. So what if I said the Bible is the worst book in the world to study, it is woefully incomplete and very unhelpful? What if I said that? see some of you reaching for Rotten Tomatoes. But if I added, please add this quickly, Dave, (laughs) Dave, (laughs) it's useless if you're studying the history of the Hawaiian Islands and its people, because there's almost nothing in the Bible about that. So now that statement makes sense, right? It's also almost entirely useless as a guide to auto repair. Almost no good at all. So you need to understand what the Bible is and what it isn't. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written over a period of around 1,500 years by 30 or 40 authors. We believe those authors to be directly inspired by God. It's an enduring written record of the Creator's relationship with His creation, our relationship to Him, and His plan to restore that creation to peace with Him through Jesus Christ. The Bible is not a science textbook. Here's a quick example. All right. In 1 Kings 7.23, we're told about the molten sea. The molten sea was a large basin used for ritual washing that stood in the southeastern corner of the inner court of the temple in Jerusalem. Here's the verse. And he made a molten sea, ten cubits from one brim to the other. And it was round all about. And the height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits did compass it around. So we'll revisit some high school geometry here. The formula for the circumference of a circle. C equals pi d. If the diameter from brim to brim was 10 units, in this case cubits, and we calculate the circumference from that, then actually the line around it should be 31.4159 cubits. But the Bible says a line of 30 cubits to encompass it around. So we're in error by 1.4159 cubits. The Bible is not true, and we can dispense with it, right? For the purpose of what the Bible's trying to get across here, 30 is close enough. And the people of this time didn't understand decimal fractions anyway. And we're not really sure what brim to brim means. So you get my point. The Bible is not a science or mathematical or biological or astronomical textbook. And where some well-intentioned Christians get in trouble is by trying to make the Bible serve as a science textbook. As a result, they end up doing extremely poor science. And when that poor science is exposed, it diminishes the credibility of our witness on matters of greater and more eternal import. So let's look at a couple issues 
uh, raised by science. How am I doing on time? There's a lot of material to cover, but... Is there life on other planets? So, aliens, they're very popular. And, of course, this is a result of the vivid imagination of science fiction writers. And let's face it, aliens are just plain fun. But I've noticed uh, uh, some interesting developments in popular culture and thinking about aliens. Aliens are often being offered as the solution for the missing intelligence. Remember, if the universe has no God, then everything has to be random and chance. Uh, We need some intelligence. So, wait a minute. Intelligence could come from aliens. So we don't want a God we have to deal with. He has those, all those troublesome moral absolutes. So maybe we came from the advanced race of people who live out there in the cosmos and visited this planet a long time ago. Basically the script from 2001, A Space Odyssey. Now I'm not saying there can't be life on other planets. If there is, their creator is the same as my creator. So I have no problem with that. But unfortunately, the case for extraterrestrial life is very bleak. When looked at scientifically, in other words, based on actual evidence and not conjecture uh, or fantasy, there's really no evidence for... I brought a prop. So this represents the Earth. And can you see that, like, sheen on it? As far as we know, that's the only place in the entire universe that life exists. And that sheen is our atmosphere. And that's it. There's no evidence for life anywhere else in the entire universe. So life is pretty special. Um, I believe it's something that God created. One of the other issues that's controversial is the whole age of the earth issue. One thing I'd like to say is that God's time frame is not the same as our time frame. And the scripture verses that are up there now are good examples of that. So, when we dis- what we discover observing the creation will never be at odds with what God has communicated to us in Scripture. Remember I said that. So, the creation is old. Any measurement uh, that's been used to measure the age of the earth and the universe, um, and there are many different ones that can be used, all agree, uh, with a margin of error, but the margin of error is very small. That the earth is around 5 billion years old and the universe is about 13 billion years old. Um, There's an uncertainty factor in that of about 21 million years, which sounds huge, but on the scale of 13 billion years, 21 million years is not huge at all. It's actually pretty good. So this is evidence that's found in the creation that the universe is ancient. 
So what do we do with the account in Genesis? Well, remember I said before, if there appears to be conflict, it's because we lack understanding of that particular, um, of those particular verses. And I think part of the lack of understanding comes from the different time frame that God has over the time frame we have. The point being is that if, if we continue to maintain that the earth is only 6,000 years old, then you will basically be dismissed in terms of your credibility on other subjects, which are a lot more important, uh, such as our witness of the gospel. In the same way that you would dismiss someone who said that the earth was flat. If I came to you and said the earth is flat, you really wouldn't want to hear much else that I had to say because we all know the earth isn't flat. There's a lot of, test, a lot of evidence uh, to the contrary. So I won't belabor that point, but I'll say that it's important because uh, if we teach our children that the universe is only 6,000 years old, when they get to the point where they can engage in critical thinking and they're exposed to other evidence of the creation, remember, of the creation in college, they may be tempted to, when they reject this young earth view of the universe, to reject other things. That's why it's important. That's why it's important for you to pray about it and think about it and, and maybe adjust you know, your view. Um, there's other resources available. Uh, Jeffrey Kirkbride, who is a member of our community, is, uh, loves the Lord, loves the scripture, and he's also a trained scientist. He's an astrophysicist. He's going to be having a discussion group on some of these topics so that can, you can go into them in more detail. Um, at Grounds for Thought, every Sunday in October, starting tonight at 4 p.m., uh, and he's calling it Skeptic's Corner. So if you want to get together with Jeff, uh, he has a lot of things to share, um, and I'm sure that that would be uh, informative and uh, help you to study some of these areas further. So we have all these questions, and this is good. God wants us to ask questions. I believe God created us by design to be curious creatures. I love this passage from Paul's address to the Athenians where he talks about why we were created. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So we were created by God to seek a relationship with God. And I don't think God has a problem when we look at his creation, when we examine his creation, and we ask questions as a result of what we find there. I think God welcomes all sincere and honest inquiries into the truth, and he promises in Matthew 7, 7, that if we seek, we will find. Uh, in James 1, 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, 
without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God doesn't fault us for asking questions. And the promise in James here is that he generously wants to answer those questions. But I'll add these, uh, these caveats in, um, in conclusion. When we ask questions, we have to ask believing. We have to ask in faith, believing there are answers to be found. Number two, if we ask questions, we must be prepared for answers that may adjust our understanding of truth. In other words, do not ask if you don't really want to know. And number three, there are some things that are actually beyond our understanding. And although that's hard for us to accept, it's okay. Uh, We keep seeking, and we keep asking, and we keep knocking. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this wonderful universe that you've created for us, that you've placed us in. We thank you that we have the opportunity to know you through observing that universe, through reading your scripture, and through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that none of those means of knowing you will ever contradict each other. And we pray you would give us the understanding necessary to see that. And we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.